Happy fall and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the PigX Podcast. On this month's episode, we're talking to Dr. Chris Rodemaker, clinical professor at Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine and the Associate Director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center. And joining Chris is Dr. Steve Pullman of DSP Consulting, who we are welcoming today for a special two-part series. Before we get into our conversation about stocking density and a general mortality discussion, which will be the theme for the next two months, let's learn a bit more about the guests and how they got to where they are today. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to be with you today. And my background is I got a PhD in swine nutrition from the University of Nebraska and then spent some time on the faculty at Kansas State and then moved into the feed industry for some 15 years doing research and product development about the time the swine industry was really starting to integrate. And so at that time, I moved from R&D and took an operations management position where I served as the general manager of the Circle 4 Farms business, which was a startup in southwest Utah. And then after doing that for a few years, I relocated back to Iowa, uh, where I served with Smithfield as the president of the Western Operations. And then when Smithfield was purchased by the Chinese, it was an opportunity to take early retirement. And from that point on, I started my consulting business, which has been an absolute pleasure and also uh, add additional value to my life from the standpoint of being able to roll the experiences of research, product development, and operations management into helping others. Yeah, I was born and raised in southwestern Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota, went to the College of Veterinary Medicine after I had completed my requirement courses for vet school at Minnesota. And that was about 1994. At that time, just as I was getting into college, a neighbor of mine was just getting out and he started a company called New Fashion Pork. Uh, His name was Brad Frecking. So Brad and I grew up about a mile and a half apart. So when I graduated in 1998, he had already started the business. So I uh, joined on as veterinarian and spent 11 years there as a production veterinarian for New Fashion Pork. And then in 2009, I had the unique opportunity to join my fellow co-panelists at Smithfield Foods and actually inherited the role that Dr. Roger Main, who is our director of uh, VDL here at Iowa State University, had had the previous position working as director of production improvement. So I got a chance to work closely with Steve, working as, you know technical coordination amongst the 12 veterinarians who worked in the Western operations, but then also got a chance to be involved with the research program, which that was really a, a big draw for me just to try to understand how to do good uh, good research, you know, particularly in the health area, uh, because that was probably one area felt like was an area of opportunity. So I spent five years there with Steve. And then around the time of the acquisition and due to some consolidation within that business, I had the opportunity to actually attend Iowa State University as the swine extension veterinarian and as a clinical professor. So I spent a lot of time still doing producer outreach. I still get out into the barns, working with producers, you know, working with students. So I really appreciate that uh, opportunity. And same thing, be able to share some of the things that I learned the production veterinarian and working with Steve in the research end to try to teach others how do we do a better job of, of making decisions, particularly health-related decisions. So appreciate it. And I think we'll have the ability to share some of those today with some of the topics that we have. 
Absolutely. And so the theme of today's episode is to talk a little bit about mortality as a whole, have a general discussion here, as well as talking about stocking density. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask one more follow up question to each of you, because you've both been in the industry for a little while now. What changes have you both seen throughout the industry and how has that impacted your roles? Well, from my standpoint, it's very obvious the consolidation has occurred and then the sophistication of our industry and the passion that exists in the industry for improvement and the more transparency and availability for benchmarking information and the quest to say, how do we improve throughput and lower cost? And then the ongoing coordination of integrated chains and meeting consumer needs and adjusting production practices to changing environmental expectations. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Steve. I, I would probably echo those comments. I think for me, maybe a little bit more from a personal standpoint, it's really just trying to watch veterinarians because we get fantastic education on pathophysiology, immunology, vaccinology, and things like that. But we probably don't get receive as much classical training as our nutritionist counterparts do on, you know, trying to set up good field trial or good good trial designs to make educated decisions. So that was really part of the draw for me to take the position and work with Steve is, is because I know Smithfield had a really good research program and I certainly learned a lot. And and that was part of uh, the decision when I did to go into Iowa State University was to try to be able to work with the collaborators here at the university. But how do we teach veterinarians and producers to do a better job of evaluating, you know, all decisions, you know, probably my camp more health related, you know, product decisions? How do we do a better job than just saying, well, we're going to, you know, somebody gave us 20 bottles of vaccine, we're going to put it in 20,000 pigs, but that's really just 20 lots, right? So we don't have a lot of statistical power to be able to make decisions, but, you know, there's there's big dollar decisions that get made that way. And, and you're starting to see that. You're seeing companies and even vet clinics now are starting to invest in research technologies and research staff to make sure that they're making those type of educated decisions and making sure they're they're putting all those resources together to make them smarter. So I, I think the sophistication as Steve said, that's really probably the thing that's that hit hit home most closely for me. It definitely, Chris, has moved from a try and see to a quantify and verify route mentality, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a several counter or my colleagues here at Iowa State University, and they're, they kind of share that passion about how do we do a better job with, you know, field trial evaluations, you know, really being able to utilize those trials still in the field, because we know those have the best external validity to other customers rather than putting three pigs in a pen in a university style small barn and say, well, we saw a difference here. That means we're going to see a difference out there. But it's really, as your point, Steve, is, you know, how do we use, you know, good statistical design, university style precision, but have those executed in in commercial barns so that we know if we see a difference there, we have a high confidence that we're going to see a difference when we put those type of products or interventions into the field. And the kind of topic we're discussing today is a prime example of that, isn't it? Because that needs to be done under real world with people that can interpret the data sufficiently. So when we're done, we don't make the wrong conclusion relative to it because of the subjectiveness of that determination. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that was one thing you know, that uh, that you helped me educate me on, Steve. And one thing that I just wanted to make sure that we covered today was, you know, 
as vets and production people, you know, we're really passionate about numbers, right? We talk about average daily gain or we talk about mortality and well, it's, you know, Hey, we've seen two groups in a row with lower mortality. Things are getting better. Our intervention is working. But at the end of the day, as you try to tell people's, you know, the people that we all report to, you know, they keep track of who's winning and who's not by dollars, right? So one of the things I know that I really thought I picked up working with you and the Smithfield group was how to use cost sensitivities to make those type of health decisions. So Steve, I was just curious if you could just tell us a little bit more about, you know, that whole process and and how you've used that in the past in, in your different roles to make those type of decisions. And really a cost sensitivity from my standpoint is to take the whole complexity of the financial assessment of the business and put it into some key deliverables and nuggets that people can relate to. And a sensitivity is simply defined as the incremental change that's necessary. And the whole aspect of a financial sensitivity is to make the finance of the business more logical to more of the people or the organization. And a financial sensitivity is the incremental financial value of change. As an example might be, as we're talking today, 1% change in wean to finish mortality is worth about $2 per pig across the entire system. And then if you do that with other key indicators of the business, you can ratio those back and forth. So for instance, a 1% change in finishing Wing to finish mortality may be equivalent to say five points on feed efficiency. And so those numbers then can be driven through the production organization and people know what small changes in the business result in financial impact. Yeah, that's good, Steve. You know, I think the thing for me as a veterinarian, the, where I really saw cost sensitivities is really having value is in evaluating interventions, right? Because it's like, okay, we've, you know, we've got a mycoplasma problem. Well, you know, we can add this to the feed and we can add this vaccine and all that. And, you know, we can, we can change mortality by 1%. You know, but as you said, you know, that 1% is worth about $2, whereas we may have invested 4 to $5 to make that 1% change. So, you know, I think the vets and production people, we'd get all excited about, hey, we're able, we put these interventions in place and we were able to, to move mortality, but not really understanding that the cost of our interventions was twice of the value that we got back. So that was, I think, for me, one way to look at how to really think about that as a more holistic standpoint. And it's really to say, how do we think about mortality? How does that translate into dollars and cents? Because, you know, the CEOs and CFOs, that's the numbers they're looking at. And generally, when those financial sensitivities are done, it's done by single variables at a time. But we also know that as mortality is decreased, that will enhance gain, feed and shift feed efficiency, and probably percent of full-value pigs. And so this, that's one of the weaknesses of the sensitivity. It's a conservative estimate of value, but truly does help people connect with the, the value. And so often, as you talked about, Chris, is the payback. So if the vaccine costs 75 cents, at least tells people that I got to at least move mortality a half a percent to change that if it's based totally on mortality. Yep, that's a great point, Steve. Okay, there was certainly a lot to unpack there, so let's do a little recapping. As Chris and Steve both mentioned, one of the biggest changes they've seen over the years has been how producers, vets, and other folks in the swine industry go about evaluating those health decisions. 
Essentially, how do you make those big dollar decisions? I think Chris said it best. When evaluating cost opportunities and risks, you really have to sit down and ask yourself, how do we look at mortality and how does that translate into dollars and cents? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, we don't know yet how to calculate those dollars and cents costs, don't worry, that's next. That number is actually calculated using your profit and loss statement and then changing the assumptions in that evaluation. So it's just a simple say, if your baseline is 4% and I move it to 5%, what is that incremental change? Yeah, that's a good point, Stephen. Probably one thing just to kind of connect, you know, the audience to. So as we put together the survivability grant, so it's a five-year grant that we received from the National Pork Board and FFAR collaborative team from Iowa State, Kansas State, and Purdue, you know, we broke that out into several different focus areas. One of those certainly was economics. And we've got Dr. Lee Schultz, uh, an ag economist here from Iowa State, that's working on those models and that really will be one of the deliverables from from the grant is, you know, maybe for people or producers that, that don't have that, you know, model already established or are looking for one, they'll, one of the deliverers will be a profit and loss model like that, where they can put their own assumptions into it and see how the some of those sensitivities are calculated for those different variables. And I think that would be a great added service, Chris. And I do believe in the time that I've talked with producers about them, many of them have that capability within their systems, but they just haven't connected with their financial people to have those at the fingertips of their production staff. As we move along into our conversation, the role of the sow farm on post-weaning mortality comes into play. We have some data to analyze, so let's jump in. I think that particular area is one that is commonly suggested that they understand, but not clearly connected with the critical importance of it. And I I think that's probably one of the single biggest factors influencing mortality is the source of the pigs. And unfortunately, in today's system, sources are mixed and uh, the field times are long and some of those kind of things. But when one clearly has single source flows and pigs from one farm goes to certain finishing facilities, then you look at it over time, you can clearly see the sow farm effect on finishing mortality. And some analysis that we had done in the past indicated it was the largest single factor influencing livability. And often that's going to be a component of the health status of the pigs. But at the same time, when you look at other major factors, such as season, genetics, the feed mill that they're sourced out of, or the building that they're placed in, the source of the pig is the biggest single factor influencing pig survivability. And we often look at that and say it's probably equally important to where they're actually placed and the performance of the pigs in that finishing location. Yeah, that's a great point, Steve. We had another one of in the post-weaning area, the survivability grant, Dr. Daniel Lynn Harrison and his graduate student Edison had had essentially repeated, I think, an analysis similar to what you did previous and really was looking at all the different variables, took all the lot closeouts from a producer for a two-year time period, put all those variables into a model and then asked the model to kick out, you know, what were the top things, you know, that were influencing the variation in grow finish mortality. And, and I think very similar to what you found is, 
is, you know, he had, I think, five listed that represented 82 to 83 percent of that. But uh, the major one in that was uh, South Farm Source. And that data was really kind of unique in that that system had uh, all this weekly testing data for PERS and mycoplasma and processing fluids and, and pigs at weaning. And what it really just showed was what a huge driver that health was in that downstream production. So really just kind of verified your point underneath. And I think we all kind of understand it and know it, but I think like you mentioned, you know, sometimes, you know, people get caught up with, well, it's put in a really pig dense area or that's a bad feed mill, you know, and and trying to explain it that way, which, you know, I think from an individual contribution standpoint, those all have small uh, contributions, but, you know, they're really pale in comparison to the sow farm source and the health of that sow farm and that impact on grow finish mortality. And Chris, you know, some recent analysis that have been done is we took one system and 15% of their sow farms represented about 28% of their mortality. And so I think that's an amazing kind of number to think about. And there was distinctly one or two flows that represented the biggest part of that. And when we talk about continuous improvement, we often talk about the big leg of the Pareto or the biggest single opportunity. In that case, they had one flow that had mortalities averaging over 10%, and their system was probably closer to 4.5% wean to finish mortality. So they had these two distinct flows that were dramatically higher. And so what it clearly said is they had to go upstream to correct the problem of those two farms. And that sometimes is not looked at or queried out of the data set to say, what are the causes of mortality? And sow farm has got to be at the top of the list. As we just went over, there are many things we have to look out for when it comes to post-weaning mortality. In order to truly understand the relationship between these indicators and mortality rates, we have to properly monitor our operations. Luckily, Chris and Steve have had plenty of experience in that and can tell us how we do that. But it's also important to note we're going to do that here in production phases because it's important to think about mortality in each stage of production. You know, we take that timing. Oftentimes we look at rolled up mortalities as a closeout. And then we ask ourselves, when was mortality occurring? Was it occurring in the first third of the grow out or was it in the middle or was it in the end? And we often know that some of the health problems are greatest during the second phase. But as you look at phase mortality, Chris, talk about how you believe that's been effective in more effectively diagnosing where the problem is and how to put emphasis on that problem. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, on Grow Finish, we probably don't have the same number of leading indicators as maybe we do on a south farm, right? I I really think, you know, for especially for most systems and farms are reporting mortality on a weekly basis, trying to get that information in and then aggregate it, like you say, to look at two things. One is is that phase mortality that you talked about. What what phase are we starting to see that in? And, you know, a lot of times you're right, we see mortality in that middle phase. And sometimes that's just overcarry from sick pigs in the first phase that never recovered. And then we had to euthanize. But you're right. It's important to understand that because we do know, you know, mortality at the end, that is, you know, while maybe not the biggest, that's the most expensive because you have all this time and space and feed invested into those animals. So I, I really think looking at phase mortality is a good way to start to break that down to say, well, what areas do we need to be focused on? And I think the nice thing about that is usually those reportings go through everyone in the system. So 
all the production people, the veterinarians, you know, CEO, director of operations, so on. Okay, we understand the phase mortality in the first phase is up on this flow. Uh, you know, are we having problems at all barns or do we just have one really bad? It's that type of drill down. It just feels like you have to have that. And I think that's particularly important for the veterinarian. You know, if if the the territory manager maybe isn't quite as connected with what's going on, you know, that's something they can, you know, maybe see from a 20,000 foot level and, and provide some feedback or input, or at least to say, hey, I better get to that site this week. You know, they were over a percent mortality in the, in the past seven days. But I think historically the methods have been the grower calls the veterinarian and or the production director and says, I lost a bunch of pigs. And then it's usually too late. You know, then you're throwing water meds in or you're doing something just to have some effort. And generally, if one is focusing on that phase mortality, I think from my experience, when we could get pigs treated early and done it effectively and get phase one mortality done, then you started to see the peaks of the other phases start to come over. And that's one of the challenges with finishing mortality. You do something today and you may not see the closeout information for maybe four or five months. And so you need better real-time indicators. And those are the key processes that influence the closeout results. And that may be simply as monitoring the number of feed outages. It may be something as simple as looking at uh, the number of animals treated and how many what when were they dying and what were they dying of so that you can really go upstream to correct the problem instead of routinely waiting to say boy i don't remember that group and why it was so high yeah that's a good point as a veterinarian steve i can tell you those calls almost always happen friday at four o'clock and then (laughs) (laughs) then you start talking to the production manager or the the caretaker on the farm well yeah they've been dying all week but it's going into the weekend so i figured i'd better call somebody yeah that's a problem. And obviously, as we think about the future with precision production practices, that's that's an opportunity to automate and make that more transparent and more real-time. And oftentimes, the systems are cumbersome enough, and we're managing from the seat of our pants instead of necessarily saying, let the data tell us where we've got the problems and find the outliers and then work with the outliers by getting that big leg resolved so that you can improve production methods and results. Wow, I don't know about you, but there was certainly a lot of great information there that I caught. Of course, we want to try and get those pigs treated as real time as possible and better yet, to ensure that pigs are treated during the first phase of production. To help capture some of those real-time results is important, and as Chris and Steve mentioned, we can put together real-time indicators to try and help identify the number of pigs treated, what they were dying from, and continually check in at all phases of production. Well, don't forget, there's more conversation to come with Chris and Steve in next month's episode as we recap today's discussion and wrap up talking about stocking density and post-weaning mortality. Until next time, I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the PigX Podcast. PigX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at 
iastate.edu. Pig X, ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.